Hello, everybody. Welcome to the seventh episode of the Banner Podcast. I'm your co-host, Roger Bodie, joined as always with my other co-host and best friend, Michael Hamilton. Michael, how's it shaking, bacon? How's it shaking, bacon? Oh, I'm doing pretty well. Been getting a lot of testing games in in the mornings, which has been nice. Unfortunately, my road to nationals this weekend was a bit of a disaster, but you know, sometimes it's how it goes. You lose some. How are you doing? I'm good. Coincidentally, my road to nationals also did not go well, but I learned how to play a new card game, Dragon Ball Z Super. It was free. It was free 99. The card store generally, the card store generously gave us starter packs, and we were told it's just like Magic the Gathering. It is definitely not. Yeah, we learned how to play and can confirm it is nothing like Magic the Gathering. Though it does happen to have red and green with uh, no icon symbol on the colors. So fun fact, I'm red-green colorblind, and that made it very difficult to realize I couldn't pay for my red spell with my green resource. And I won the game easily from there. (laughs) But I don't think Michael and I would be switching over to Dragon Ball Z Super anytime, so let's talk about the probably strictly better game of Flesh and Blood. I do like Flesh and Blood reasonably more than Dragon Ball, but I don't want to make anyone upset by calling it strictly better. It's a game that we enjoy more, at least, though. I think all of our listeners will call it strictly better. If any Dragon Ball Z super fans start listening to our podcast somehow, some way, you know what? I'll risk alienating them. All right. Let us know in the comments if you're a Dragon Ball super fan and this upset you. Anyway, so today, Michael and I will be reviewing some of the top performing deck lists in the past few weeks of the Road to Nationals meta. There's been a pretty good diversity of decks showing up and representation, and some of the new uprising eras have even been making waves. So I think Michael and I are excited to go over what kind of spicy tech is being represented these days and seeing who's hot and who's not in the current uprising meta. Yeah, so this is the tournaments from this last weekend that we'll be looking at decklist from. And we're going to try a new thing this week of I'm going to read through the decklist and that way it'll be easier for the listeners that are just listening to audio to follow along as we talk about the decks. Sorry, no more potato graphics for our YouTube fans, but I think they'll survive. So shall we start with the spiciest, in my opinion, Dromai? Yeah, let's let's talk about some Dragon Lady. Alright, so Gregory Patelis took down a Road to Nationals with the Stromai list. It's playing six equipment. Arcanite Skullcap, Flamescale Furnace, Ghostly Touch, Silent Stilettos, Silken Form, and Storm of Sandakai as the weapon. For red cards, pitch one. It has three Billowing Mirage, three Burn Them All, three Command and Conquer, three Erase Face, three Fate Foreseen, two Fi Indulse Fighting Spirit, three Invoke Asbolai, three Invoke Chromai, one Invoke Dominia, three Invoke Kyloria, two Invoke Necria, three Invoke Uvia, one Invoke Tomultai, three Invoke Yenderai, Three Oasis Respite, three Rake the Embers, three Sand Cover, three Sigil of Solace, three Sink Below, three Sweeping Blow, and three Uprising. At yellow, it's just playing three Rake the Embers, and at blue, it has three Passing Mirage, two Semblance, three Sweeping Blow, and three This Rounds on Me. We called this making a, not a comeback, but we definitely called This Rounds on Me making a splash in the new meta, given how many go wide decks we were expecting to pop up in the meta so it's good to see that this card's finding more homes yeah for sure it was in our well you 
you got to add it to our Icelander first draft deck because of the resurgence, not resurgence, the increase in go wide decks with both Fi and Dromai having potentially very long combat chains. Right. But yeah, I do definitely agree. This is a very spicy list. Uh, obviously very redliner based and looking to play as many cheap or free spells as possible to do minimal pitching. But when you are pitching one of the reds, you're at least activating the Dromai ability of getting dashed or your many, many dragons. Yeah, it looks like it's basically planning to use reds as its main resources with three passing mirage and three sweep sweeping blows as the only blues that feel like they would be good in every matchup and maybe you leave in the three this rounds on me as just a blue block three i'm not exactly sure what the sideboard plan is with this deck but the semblances seem very narrow like they're there for a specific purpose yeah i don't see how that card's ever castable i guess if you just really want to protect a dragon combat chain it can be useful for that but being a three cost instant that doesn't block it seems like a pretty well both literal high cost in the game sense but also a cost from a deck building sense for including it in the deck yeah, I imagine its main use is against Guardians in either second cycle or maybe even third cycle when your Ghostly Touch has a whole bunch of counters on it. You draw your hand at four blues because it's like the third cycle and you pitch a blue to activate the gloves and attack with them. And then when they try to pop it, then you semblance it. And at that point, it should have 10 plus counters on it and just deal a ton of damage. Interestingly, this deck is not as heavy as I would maybe think a deck could be with making Aether Ashwings. Really, there's just uh, six copies of Wreck the Embers, three red, three yellow, and three red Bellowing Mirage, and three Uvias to really invoke the go-wide strategy and creating a lot of those tokens. But it seems more focused on trying to ride the larger, more substantial dragons into play. But given how heavy it is on red cost, you see that Gregory is trimming one Necria, despite it being arguably one of the more powerful dragons. Yeah, that's got to be just the curve consideration of not having enough blues to consistently play it. What do you think about the three sand covers making an appearance? What do you think about that card seeing constructive play? Sand cover is not a card I would expect to get there on rate. We do see max copies of Sink Below and Fate Foreseen, so maybe it's the next best option if you want even more of that kind of effect. It also does have some utility against Kano and Icelander, so that could be another reason it's there. Right. That definitely makes sense. However, there's still the three copies of Oasis Respite. Obviously, this deck is looking to be as defensive as possible overall, while just using the dragons to get in the chip damage here and there. But I think this deck just looks really... Well, first of all, difficult to play, just looking at it from a visual point of view and not really having a lot of reps with it on its surface value. So I think this would be a deck list that I would need to play a lot in order to really start to understand a lot of the more nuanced decisions behind it. Yeah, I agree with that. It's also interesting, almost the entire deck blocks for three. There's a few cards that don't, like Rake the Embers and Erase Face, but almost everything blocks for three or four in the case of the defense reactions it's definitely looking to go long for what i guess we, we might consider to be a more aggressive deck in dromai but it's looking to build up the dragons and then basically punish opponents that try to go face instead of hitting the dragons i think 
Right, and importantly, semblance and sigil solves both don't block, seeing as that they're instants. So, oh. it also makes sense why there's not a lot of copies of those in the list overall, though. Mm-hmm. I think another very surprising card to me is Uprising in the list. I wonder how often this deck is able to maximize the plus one power on four draconic attacks in order to get that card to just, in order to get that card to just be at rate. Yeah, it kind of makes sense because. I guess comparing it to like Scar for a Scar or Ravenous Rabble, that's their reds that are generally worth four damage and give your things go again. Uprising on the turns that you want to be giving your things go again, you're expecting to be attacking with probably four things. So you'll usually get the full value out of it. And then on the times that you don't want that effect, it blocks for three, whereas Ravenous Rabble and Scar blocks for two. And just looking at the deck building, I think that's probably a pretty substantial reason why Uprising made the cut and the other cards did not. Alright, this list is definitely pretty far off our Dromai list. Right, and I think going back up to the equipment, it's interesting that there are no Phantasmal Footstops and instead of opting for Silent Stilettos. Yeah, looking at the list, I don't think there's a single attack action with Phantasm in the deck. So Phantasmal Footsteps would be kind of out of place without those. It looks like it just has the dragons that have Phantasm, and then all the attacks are just normal attacks. Or you will resolve when you play them. What do you think about a deck that's looking to be more controlling to play Flamescale Furnace over Findale Spring Tunic as well? Normally, Findale Spring Tunic is the chess piece that gets played in more controlling lists because you're able to get a lot of value out of generating those resources over the course of a long game. But maybe Flamescale Furnace is the go-to here just because, well, it blocks more efficiently. Yeah, I am kind of surprised to see Flamescale Furnace over Tunic here. There are so many different one-cost cards in the deck with Billowing Mirage, Sweeping Blow, and I think three different of the Red Dragons cost one. No, just two, just Kyloria and Yenderai. But that's enough things that would make me lean pretty heavily towards just wanting Tunic, especially when the games are going long. Oh, you also have six copies of Rake the Embers that you can play off the Tunic. But maybe the deck is just so ash-hungry that it's just pitching these reds and planning to pitch these reds as its way of producing ash all the time. I would imagine that's the case. I think this deck... I think too many people focus on the, quote, inefficiencies, unquote, of, of pitching red cards, where really you just need to be looking at the effects overall you're getting for the cards you're using as resources. So I guess my thought process is like this, where... If you're pitching a blue and attacking for seven damage, so no go again, no nothing like that, that's three resources for seven, that's fine. And obviously paying one resource for four, which is the main attacking point that we see on these, uh, which is the main power we see on a lot of the cards that Droma is currently playing. But you're still just trading the one card for the four damage, plus the ash and any additional value that that card is then creating as well as getting the go again off of having played the red card for a turn i think as long as your deck is built around to i think as long as your deck is able to efficiently still play turns without having to always need to pitch multiple reds in order to play your cards for turn it's not a huge deck building cost yeah that makes sense the curve on this deck is very very low so most cards costing one and in the event that you do need to pitch multiple reds, I guess that's where Flamescale Furnace really helps you get more rate out of having to pitch multiple reds in order to satisfy the higher costing cards. 
Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to taking this deck for a spin and seeing how it feels. I don't know. It's not your play style. It's not a Guardian class, so I guess we'll have to see. Sounds like the perfect segue. Shall we move on to Oldheim? The Grandfather of Eternity? Yes. I wonder who the father of Eternity is. So if Oldheim's the grandfather of Eternity, who's just Eternity's dad? When are we going to see Mediumheim or Middle-Ageheim? Oldheim also took down Eroded Nationals in the hands of James Gilchrist. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. And his list had 10 equipment. Arcane Lantern, Crater Fist, Crown of Seeds, Final Spring Tunic, Iron Hide Legs, Norrin Boots, Norrin Gloves, Rampart of the Ram's Head, Time Skippers, and Winner's Whale. Before I go into the rest of the deck, real quick, this equipment, this is a lot of slots devoted to equipment. It is playing Norrin Boots, Gloves, and Arcane Lantern, so it's really looking to have plenty of Arcane Barrier against Wizards. It has Time Skippers for Prism. It's not playing a Sledge for the Mirrors, but it has uh, Winner's Whale plus Rampart. And then for the chest, it only has Tunic, and for the head, it only has Crown of Seeds. Right. I think the only semi-notable piece of equipment that's not included would be Stalagmite. But other than that, I think these are all pieces of equipment we've at least seen before in old time. All right. Moving on to the reds. There's three Command and Conquer, three Enlightened Strike, three Oakenhold, three Oasis for Spite, two Pummel, three Sink Below, three Spinal Crush, and three Zealous Belting. For yellows, it has three Lead the Charge. And for blue, it has three Autumn's Touch, one Blizzard, three Brothers in Arms, three Channel Lake Frigid, three Cranial Crush, three Disable, one Exposed to the Elements, three Glacial Footsteps, three Icy Encounter, three Lead the Charge, three Macho Grande, one Pulse of Eisenloft, two Sotomaro, three Staunch Response, three Thunderquake, three Winner's Bite, and three Winner's Grasp. This looks like, to me, this just looks like a pretty solid approach to Oldheim. It looks like a great list just pretty clean there isn't really a lot that stands out as unexpected the new cards showing up are three oasis for spite and three brothers in arms none of the new ice cards made the deck and other than that it just looks like a clean list to me what are your thoughts i think what's most notable obviously is we get to autumn's touch back welcome back autumn's touch it's nice to see you again Cards like Breakground just didn't feel as good in decks like Oldheim, obviously. And now Oldheim is perfectly safe to be playing his friendly Earth 3 blocks in Autumn's Touch. So, welcome back. Yeah. It's nice Other than that, them. though, I think this deck seems... Let me count real quick. Hold on. 14 ice cards? Is that usually stock? Uh, 14 ice cards is about normal. You can play more, but I think most decks usually end up around there. Okay, well, never mind. I think this deck is obviously leaning into a more aggressive stance than some traditional old Heimless were with the copies of Zealous Belting and Pummel, most notable, for enacting that game plan. It looks like when you're going against Prism, this deck really just wants to be putting its foot on the gas and trying to put as much damage on the board as possible, and then pop auras with cards like Lead the Charge and Time Skippers. Yeah, six copies of Lead the Charge is a real statement. This this basically is saying that I'll be able to beat Prism now since I'm playing all these cards specifically for that matchup, which is a bold statement, but it looks like it paid off for him. He's got the more aggressive build with very few red defense reacts, just the three stick below, and then three Oasis Respite, which is similar to a red defense react. And that's that's really it for defensive reds and yellows in the deck. 
Talk to me about Sotomaro. Why is this card popping up now? I think Sotomaro is just the best Earth card behind Autumn's Touch. If you want more Earth cards for your Oakenolds, or you want to be able to Earth React more in potential Guardian Mirrors that might go to Fatigue, Sotomaro is kind of just the best option left. Another card that's pretty interesting, in my opinion, is Yellow Autumn's Touch. It combines very nicely with your many blue ice cards to do the pitch the or activate old time by pitching the yellow autumn's touch plus a blue ice card getting both effects and floating two resources but that's not a card that makes every list and i think so tomorrow and yellow's autumn touch are really the two earth cards that you can really go to once you're at the three blue autumn's touch and then channel like bridget is still the main stage channel for controlling deck it seems like i assume it's mostly because it's block three but do you think there's any world in which that old time will start looking to channel the bleak expanse instead yeah i think if the matchups show up where channel the bleak expanse starts looking very powerful against uh it's worth playing so channel the bleak expanse prevents heroes from revealing cards searching decks or drawing cards so in order for it to really work there have to be a lot of, there has to be a hero that's doing some of those effects a lot of the time enough that like just stopping them from doing that for one or two turns will really hamper their turns. I think there's a Viscerai list that is kind of... It's it's getting close to the point where this card might be good against it because of Sonata, Belittle, and Become the Arc Knight. And I think if it just needs a few more cards that get hit by this, and then this will be a good, a reasonable sideboard card for it. But Channel the Bleak Expanse by itself, it's one resource... And a whole card. And it really needs to mess up their turn to be worth paying a card and a whole resource. Or a whole card and a resource to basically stop them from doing those effects. They need to be very reliant on them. Gotcha. Are there any ice cards that you think Old Time might be looking to from Old Uprising? Or do you think none of them are really appealing to his kind of strategy? I think Hypothermia is kind of interesting. Against heroes that gain go again from effects a lot you can spend your whole turn to play hypothermia as just block with three cards play hypothermia and that can kind of really mess up their next turn i think in ways that channel the bleak expanse might not be able to it's very easy to imagine that and importantly that card is free it doesn't cost any resources to play right yeah it's free so you don't have to pitch anything to do it it can be your only card you just play it and then a lot of heroes will struggle to have a solid turn through that. For example, if Voltaire Lexi is very popular, or even Lightning Lexi from her ability, either version, she won't be able to give her arrows go again from Voltaire activations or from her hero power, so that could just really shut down a Lexi turn for one card. Even Briar, to a certain extent, with not being able to use Embodiment of Lightnings, sometimes the deck is pretty reliant on effects like that in order to give some of their clunkier cards go again but that one's maybe a bit more of a stretch than a hate card for lexi i i think it is actually very effective against briar since a lot of her attacks don't intrinsically have go again lightning surgeon and twine lightning both don't get it scar for a scar misses swarming gloom veil gets hit by it on top of embodiments of lightning there's a reasonable number of cards in briar that are being that are being shut down by it and i think it would be fairly reasonable against briar as well yeah, there's a lot of rumblings that, you know, Briar's kind of fixed her old high matchup, so I don't know how much of a card like that would even be warranted, but I guess we'll have to see if that even is true to begin with. 
I guess one last thing before moving on. As far as sideboarding with this deck is, as far as sideboarding with this deck goes, are there any other matchups aside from Prism where you think Old Time is going to want to sideboard into this Zealous Belting Pummel more aggressive strategy? Maybe a deck like Dromai? Yeah, I think Dromai, and then they're probably fine in the mirror as well. Any deck that you can't block very well against, like Brutes, you probably just want to be playing powerful attacking hands back at them since you can't block with a lot of your hands so often. So there's a reasonable amount of matchups. Just probably not anything except the aggro decks that are really looking to just kill you as fast as possible or set up anything except the aggro decks that are just looking to kill you as fast as possible. I think it's reasonable to at least consider the zealous belting and pubbles to just try to race them down. Uh, Icelander and the wizards and Kano as well are other, uh, other matchups that you really want to be able to pressure them. And Dash, if she ever shows up too. She needs playable arms before she can show up, but... Yeah, we'll see. I don't think she's great, but anything can show up at a tournament, you know? Especially based on how all these decks we've seen this weekend. A lot of things can show up at Road to Nationals and do well. Wait till everybody sees my Talishar Kano deck. They're not going to be ready for it. <laughs> all right. So moving on to Briar. We'll talk about the second place list from Dan Bloomfeld, who lost to the Old Time in the finals. So speaking of Briar fixing the Old Time matchup, I didn't play on this tournament, but I guess we'll have to see moving forward. But what were the cards in Dan's list? Yeah, so Dan had eight equipment, Arcanite Skullcap, Crown of Dichotomy, Findall Spring Tunic, Grasp of the Arcanite, Nolrun Robe, Rosetta Thorn, Snapdragon Scalers, and Vexing Quill Hand. So the one thing that stands out to me is Arcanite Skullcap still making the deck. Crown of Providence, not nowhere to be seen. That still just might be a card availability issue, though. That's true. Other than that, it looks like what we'd expect from Briar. There's also no Crown of Seeds where that card has been picking up some popularity as well in Briar lists. Yeah, for sure. This is a, looks like a more traditional Briar equipment suite. So they have... One Garganian Tome, and then 49 red cards. Three Bramble Spark, three Channel Mount Heroic, three Coax of Commotion, three Command and Conquer, three Enlightened Strike, two Entwine Lightning, two Erase Face, three Lightning Press, three Lightning Surge, three Nimbleism, three Ravenous Rabble, three Rebel and Rune Blood, three Scar for a Scar, three Sigil of Suffering, three Snatch, three Sonata Arcanics, and three Swarming Gloom Veil. For yellows, there's just one Pulse of Candlehold, and for blues, there's three Burgeoning, three Captain's Call, three Earthless Surge, three Force of Nature, three Sift, three Tome of Harvest, and three Weaver. Earth. So new cards that stand out are the three Sifts and the two Erase Face. Yeah, so Sift was kind of pitched to me as Briar finally having access to become the Arknight in a sense, where it's just a powerful blue block three that fixes her all non-attack hands. So that's definitely a new powerful tool that she has access to that helps her have more consistent turns across the game yeah i know before some briars were playing whisper of the oracles in this slot and that card just looks kind of embarrassing compared to sift because with sift you know that you know how good your hand is when you're looking at it and you know what your hand has too much of so when you play sift you can just get rid of the cards that you don't need if you have too many reds and you need another blue you can get rid of your worst reds if well, I guess if you have too many reds, you'd probably use Sif for the blue. <laughs> but 
Um, if you have too many blues, you can get rid of blues with Sift. You can kind of fix your hand based on what you see your hand has and what your hand, what you don't need. Whereas with Whispers, when you're looking at, when you're opting the top two cards of your deck, you don't really know what your next hand is going to be. Where Whispers was most useful was just really setting up Sonata and setting and setting up your top card when you were going to play an effect to draw a card this turn. Or just flashing and not attack action with Spellbound Creepers. Mm-hmm. So I think Sift is a pretty solid upgrade to Whispers. Another powerful card that I'm really high on and I'll keep pushing until it starts showing up more and probably the whole 100% of the reason why Dan lost Oldheim in the mirror or Dan lost Oldheim in the finals zero copies of Exude Confidence had he played Exude Confidence he would have won the whole tournament I didn't watch this match I don't know anything about it but I just know he would have won the whole tournament with the three copies of Exude Confidence (laughs) I wouldn't go that far Exude Confidence is definitely a solid sideboard card against Oldheim and it really can mess up some turns where you pump it with nimbleism or channel mount heroic or even its own ability and then old time's not really able to use his ability or use any defense reactions unless he has a large attack to block it with right i think i would definitely play it over something like sigil of suffering in my experience in room blades the defense reactions are never exactly where you want to be but I guess if you're still worried and trying to play more of a mid-rangey game against certain decks, especially Lexi or an Ice Lexi, it makes sense to include some number of those in your sideboard. Yeah, and Sigil can be quite strong. It's a 0 for 5 if you get the effect, where it does 1 damage and blocks for 4 if they aren't able to Arcane Barrier the 1 damage. So I think in some matchups, in some situations, Sigil is very powerful. Right. I would also just be careful because... You're playing Sonata Arcanics, so that means you have the three Sigils and three Lightning Presses, so that's three instants and three defense reactions that both don't trigger or do anything when you reveal them off of Sonata Arcanics. That card already has a pretty decent fail rate, so you always have to be mindful of any inclusions in your deck that aren't attacks or non-attack actions when you're playing a card like Sonata Arcanics. Yeah, for sure. Making sure to not include too many cards that don't work with Sonata is pretty important when playing with the card. Talk to me about three blue burgeonings over three autumn touches. What I, I have some opinions about this, but I want to hear your take on why you would play burgeoning over a card like Autumn's Touch. No, Autumn's Touch is a little bit weird. Burgeoning does have a few things that it does nicely. Costing two instead of three means if you play two zero cost non attack actions, get your embodiment of lightning, you can play burgeoning and follow it up with the Rosetta Thorn swing off a single blue pitch, which is kind of nice. It also plays nicely from Arsenal on Force of Nature turns, because if you play your Force of Nature fused, play some attack with Go Again that's getting the plus from the Force of Nature, then playing this blue burgeoning from Arsenal, it has plus one from its own ability, so it does threaten that draw a card trigger on it. There's a few things to like about it. I don't know if it's correct in the end to play it over Autumn's Touch, but it's not... It's not strictly worse, for sure. There's definitely some advantages it has over Autumn's Touch. Right, that was my main thinking as far as... My main thinking was very similar to your first point, which you mentioned, which when you're playing this card, costing two instead of costing three is a huge benefit. And when you're already in a position where you're casting one of your blue cards, it's never a spot that Briar is particularly happy to be in. 
Um, I guess there are circumstances where she's trying to play Toma Parvis or Sift in order to gain access to some card advantage. Actually, I'll take this one back. Briar already has a lot of blue cards that she's pretty happy to be casting a lot of, a lot of the time. Whether it's Toma Parvis to get some card advantage, Sift to fix a broken hand, or Force of Nature in order to threaten that card drawing ability on your tax for the rest of the turn. She's already looking to play a good number of her blues anyways, so having just more castable blues that are fine and can combo better with some of your go wider strategies or different cards in the deck, I think makes a lot of sense. I'm really happy that a card like Bramblespark is starting to see a lot more play too. I think that card, when it's fused, is a zero for four non-attack action where you're getting the plus three power and that one point of arcane damage. I think it's a very powerful effect and I think it makes a lot of sense in a deck like Earthbriar. Yeah, it definitely gets there on power level. It's very hard to get zero for four go again non-attack actions. I can't really think of any other ones other than Bramblespark right now. And... Briar just really wants non-attack actions. She's playing a bunch of Earth cards anyway to enable Channel Mount Heroic. It's just the perfect fit for the deck. And on top of being a 0 for 4, that split damage is also really nice to try to enable your embodiments of Earth through presenting 1 Arcane and 3 Physical. Right. Okay, I think that's all I have to say about this deck list now. Seems pretty clean. Um, Definitely very powerful and definitely demonstrates that Briar's going to be one of the dominant forces in the upcoming Uprising metagame. Well, I think next up, Michael, it ain't no lie. We're talking about Phi Phi Phi. Do you want to read off the Phi list that made top eight at this Road to Nationals event? So this Phi list is from Manchild Hilton. It has 11 equipment, a Flamescale Furnace, Final Spring Tunic, two Harmonized Kadachi, Mask Momentum, Norrin Gloves, Norrin Robe, Snapdragon Scalers, Stubby Hammers, Tide Flippers, and Tiger Stripe Shugo. So a couple things immediately stand out to me on this list. It's a Kadachi list rather than a Searing Emberblade list, and it has both Stubby Hammers and Tiger Stripe Shugo, presumably for different matchups, though I'm not sure when you'd want which one. It's also playing Final Spring Tunic and Flamescale Furnace. I would assume that the final Spring Tunic is for the matchups that go longer, and Flamescale Furnace is for the quick race matchups where you just want that three-block value. And we're continuing to see a lot of respect for Icelander, I would assume. Kano as well, but a lot of these lists have been playing more copies of Nullroom equipment than we've traditionally seen in some of the lists before Uprising came out, where people were often pretty comfortable just skipping out, maybe going down to just one piece of Nullroom equipment. But with a uh, second wizard in the meta lurking at all times now, I think respecting that and having more null rune in your deck overall is going to be pretty necessary. Yeah, again, three pieces of arcane barrier here with the tide flippers and the two pieces of null rune. So definitely respecting the wizards. All right, moving on. The list has 43 reds, two ancestral empowerment, three blaze headlong, three brand with cinder claw, three command and conquer, three engulfing flame wave, three enlightened strike, two even bigger than that, three flame call awakening. Two lead the charge, three Phoenix Flame, three Phoenix Form, one Razor Reflex, three Ronin Renegade, three Snatch, three Spreading Flames, three Thaw. For yellows, it has three Art of War and three Salt the Wound. And for blues, it has three Brand with Center Claw, three Engulfing Flame Wave, three Lava Vein Loyalty, two Lunging Press, three Rise from the Ashes, three Rising Resentment, and three Ronin Renegade. I do love me some Lunging Press. I think this card's pretty good. 
plus one for an attack reaction is pretty mopey, but normally what you're trying to do with it is get just over those breakpoints for your attacks, and specifically when a deck that's playing Mass Momentum, it's potentially plus one draw card. So any decks that are really looking to push their on hits, but also need access to blues, I think Lunging Press is a solid inclusion, actually. Yeah, it definitely makes sense. Another note is this list is playing a pretty high blue count at 20. It's definitely looking to draw at least one blue in every hand, it looks like. Which makes sense in a Kadachi deck list. You are obviously wanting to pitch one of these zero-cost blue cards and include two Kodachis somewhere on your very long chain link that you're trying to create. Mm-hmm. I think the biggest foul I'm seeing on this right now is just only two copies of Ancestral Empowerment. I would always play three of those cards. You need three of those. You can cut an even bigger than that. You can cut a Thaw. You can cut anything. Just got to get that third Ancestral Empowerment in there. It's just the rules of being a ninja. Yeah, my, my only concern with that is the actual lack of ninja attacks this deck has. I think for red ninja attacks, it has three Bramus Interclaw, three Engulfing Flame Wave, three Phoenix Form, three Ronin Renegade, and three Spreading Flames. So that's only 15 ninja attack actions. And then it has the three Salt the Wound at yellow, but you're not really looking to Ancestral Empowerment that late on the chain. So I think the reason it only has two is just because it doesn't actually play that many ninja attacks. That is interesting, especially given the number of just regular Jordachonic cards that are included in this list, like Flame Paw Awakening and Blaze Headlong. Yeah, and those are powerful cards. They just they can't be targeted with Ancestral Empowerment. What do you think about, even bigger than that, getting a slot in the deck as well? That's a card that a lot of ninjas have been playing as well and lends itself pretty well to the Kodachi strategy, but do you think it's warranted in this list, or do you think it's a card that could potentially be upgraded? I really like even bigger than that when you're on Kadachis because it's so hard to block two Kadachis, so it's hard for this card to be dead. Unless you're old time. Yeah, and against old time, there's only two copies of even bigger than that. It's pretty easy to sideboard them out. But I, I do think that the card warrants the inclusion, the extra card selection as well as gaining that quicken token, especially when you're including three copies of Enlightened Strike, which really loves getting that quicken token so it can choose draw a card and get go again from the quicken token. That's a very powerful interaction. It also has three copies of Snatch that also will very much benefit from the Quicken token. So I think the deck was built with a plan for even bigger than that, including both Kadachis and these powerful generic attacks that don't naturally have Goagin that really gain a lot from getting it from the Quicken token. So what do you think would be the main draw to playing an aggressive deck like Fi as opposed to Briar in the Uprising meta at the moment? In my opinion, Fi has a better Prism matchup than Briar, Mostly because when you're playing Phi in a Prism, you can board out your finishers and then end any of your turns by just sending a Phoenix Flame at one of Prism's auras. And that's very punishing for the aura plan from Prism. So you are slightly more vulnerable to the Heralds, but you are better against the aura plan. And this list even included two Red Lead the Charge to really make sure it could beat up on those auras. Yeah, that's interesting to me, because I would actually expect it to maybe fare a little bit worse in Team Prism because of the inability to pop heralds. Traditionally, Briar is just one of Prism's hardest matchups overall in the meta, and it's going to be one of the major forces keeping her in check. So I don't necessarily think I agree with it having a better matchup than Briar into Prism. I definitely think it's still going to be pretty good overall, just because Prism generally doesn't like to face these go-wide aggressive decks. Um, 
my thoughts were so more so going to playing against ninja it's a little bit harder to it's a little bit hard to know what's going on over the course of a chain link with ninja as opposed to a card like briar briar's pretty well explored at this point and there's not really a lot of tricks that she has access to that we haven't seen already before mostly like lightning press which is her main attack reaction even though it's an instant but with ninja you both have these attack reactions to help push through damage that you're always representing or your opponent has to respect in a lot of different ways whether that be these these lunging presses ancestral empowerments there's a razor reflex in here and even art award to a certain extent being able to play that at instant speed to push a point of damage across the line and then combining that with pushing multiple attacks across the finish line to draw cards with mass momentum i think by just does a little bit of a better job actually being a bit more aggressive and threatening a bit more card advantage through its aggressiveness but I think the trade-off there is you're much worse on the backswing, where Phi really struggles with blocking with the high amount of two blocks in their deck. And obviously, the equipment suite is nowhere near as good at blocking as the Runeblade equipment suite. But let's face it, most heroes in the whole game aren't anywhere near as good at blocking with their equipment as Runeblades at the moment. Yeah. Though losing Skeleton did make Runeblades reasonably worse at blocking with their equipment so another advantage is you get that you get the temper chest piece in flame scale furnace as phi whereas you don't have access to anything like that in rune blade anymore so in matchups where both decks are just racing really looking to just push damage not wanting to block both having access to mask momentum to punish decks for not blocking you and having access to this strong blocking chest piece does help phi it does give Phi an advantage in some spots against, or as opposed to where these equipment slots in Phi are at least comparable to what Runeblades have in those racing spots. Any final thoughts about Phi before we tell her goodbye? Goodbye, Phi. Moving on to Prism. We have Sean Hill won a Red Nationalist with Prism for equipment. There's one Arcanite Skullcap, one Crown of Reflection, one Phi and Spring Tunic, one Ironhide Gauntlet, Luminaris, Norun Gloves, and Phantasmal Footsteps. So, looks like a pretty standard equipment suite. Once again, we see Arcanite Skullcap and not Crown of Providence. Interestingly, I think Prism might be one of the few decks that can, that might still want Arcanite Skullcap over Crown of Providence. That just being, I think the reason for that is she's usually pretty happy with just drawing any random four cards over the course of the game, given that they are super redundant. She's just looking for her auras pitch to our yellow pitches in order to get the attacks go again and it's generally with good deck building pretty hard for her to have non-functional hands so and additionally up until she really gets this aura set up she's usually playing from behind a good portion of the game so it's not super difficult for prism to actually get all three block out of her arcanite skullcap so she might continue to be one of the few heroes that actually does prefer Skullcap over Crown of Providence. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. With her falling behind to set up auras very frequent in the early game, uh, it does make sense to favor Skullcap. Though Prism does occasionally get those awkward hands where you draw four blues. I don't think that th that is too uncommon. Or even three blues and like a soul shield. Or three blues and a a single yellow herald where it's really hard to effectively spend your hand and maybe 
crown would help with those hands. But I agree for the most part that skull cap is solid. So moving on for the reds, she has three fate for scene, three miraging metamorph, three sink below, and three war tune herald. So this red package, it's definitely a little different than we're used to seeing. Six copies of zero cost defense reactions, and then Miraging Metamorph and Wartoon Herald both show up. No copies of Command and Conquer. No copies of Prismatic Shield. I think this is just an ob- I think this is just a nod to how aggressive slanting the week one meta was expected to be. So Prism obviously Prism usually has a very good matchup into the old time decks anyways, so Prismatic Shield might not be as necessary for that matchup, or the equity you get from including that card might not be as high as including more defense reactions for the more aggressive decks like Briar are in a more aggressive leaning meta. That makes sense. Moving on to yellows, she's three Arclight Sentinels, three Celestial Cataclysm, three Fog Down, one Findos Fighting Spirit, three Genesis, three Herald of Erudition, three Herald of Protection, three Merciful Retribution, three Odorath, three Parable of Humility, three Soul Shield, three That All You Got, and three Warts and Heralds. And for blues, there's three Haze Bending, three Herald of Protection, three Herald of Rebirth, three Herald of Triumph, three Passing Mirage, three Pierce Reality, three Shimmers of Silver, and three Warts and Heralds. So we see all 27 auras, as is to be expected from most Prism decks now. Interesting new inclusions, there's three Fog Down, one Fiendos Fighting Spirit in yellow, and three of That All You Got. So far in all of our previous deck lists, we haven't seen That's All You Got, which is a little bit surprising to me, especially in a deck like Old Time, where you're looking to block a lot and getting a card back after blocking is just a very powerful effect. Maybe it's just people haven't caught on to it, or maybe we're just overhyping it too much, but it's definitely been a notable not inclusion in all the previous deck lists in my mind so far. Yeah, especially the Oldheim deck. I was really surprised not to see it, but maybe they just, maybe they made a call that the meta is not going to have enough two power attacks to really get enough value out of it, or maybe there was just an oversight. We wouldn't really know, but definitely not surprised to see it in this Prism deck. It's a very powerful yellow when you're doing the thing, and being a yellow pitch is exactly what Prism wants for her cards that are, for from all of her cards, basically. Yellow pitch is the best pitch value. Right. And then Fog Down was a card I actually tried out in some testing games over the past week, and it was not a card I was super happy with. I tried it against Briar, but maybe there are other decks where it might be a little bit more impactful, but it kind of feels like you're playing a guessing game against Briar where there are functional turns that she'll have with just go-wide normal attack strategies, and she doesn't necessarily need to have the non-attack actions to make her turn functional so there's never going to be a spot where you're 100% certain that your fog down is going to be impactful and disruptive in the way that you're expecting it to be but maybe there are matchups outside of briar where it's more impactful that i've just been overlooking until this point yeah i'm not sure what it's for if it's not for briar it seems like you would expect it to be good against briar because she does play a very significant amount of non-attack actions that rely on go again to be functional but again, three resources and a card is a huge cost to pay for an effect that's just trying to slow down your opponent. And the times that you play this card and the Briar has three attack actions that they're happy to play and either use the non-attack for resources or arsenal it, those turns are going to be awful for you because you basically spent 
two full cards in your action point to play this fog down. Right. But at least it's just a yellow block three. <laughs> That's true. So this, this list looks, like you were saying earlier, it looks very set up to fight against the aggressive decks with the six copies of the red defense reactions, the three that all you got, three soul shields means 12 total defense reactions. And basically not really teched for the mirror. The only mirror card is the one finals fighting spirit and not really teched for guardians either, but I'm prison probably doesn't need help in those matchups or the guardian matchup at least. Not particularly. And it looks like being very built for the aggro decks paid off. They won the road to nationals with it. Yeah. Interestingly though, this is also one of the first lists that we're, that we've seen so far that only has arcane barrier two on their piece of equipment. There's just null ring gloves and crown of reflection. So it makes sense that a prism can still get away with trimming a little bit of arcane barrier, given that she has the spectral shields being able to soak up some of that arcane damage. And the wizards typically don't have any good ways to pop the auras that are also generating her a lot of value and are going to close out the game relatively quick quickly. So if there's any hero that can still continue to skimp a little bit on Nalrune, it's definitely prism. Yep, that makes sense. One other thing of note is they're playing 24 blues it's pretty standard in the very high aura count builds just because normally you want obviously every single blue aura you can get your hands on i think the only blue card that kind of comes in and out of favor would be herald of rebirth at this point given that the other heralds are usually cards you're pretty happy to be playing anyways but it's really just your whatever preference you want, uh, whether to include that card at yellow or blue. And if you are still trying to respect Icelander or Ice Heroes that are trying to tax you a little bit more in the meta, it makes sense to try to maybe include a, the higher resource card with the blue Herald, or, blue Herald of Rebirth instead of the yellow. Anything else before we move on? Enjoy Prism while you can. She'll be gone soon. All right, moving on to Hayden Brown's Dorinthia Iron Song deck. How did they do it there? tournament they finished eighth but i was just so hyped to see a dorenthia deck i had to throw it on our list of decks to talk about all right so hayden's list has 10 equipment brave forge bracers courage blade hold crowd of providence dawn blade final spring tunic norin boots gloves and hood refraction bolters and valiant dynamo so once again we see three pieces of null rune we also see the crown of providence here over the skull cap which I think it's probably the correct choice in these aggressive decks that aren't looking to block too much and can really stumble when they draw hands that don't really work. Crown of Providence can just fix that. It's interesting that you would call Dory an aggressive deck where I would lean that she's more decidedly mid-range, but I could definitely see what you're saying. Okay, yeah, I, I would... I, I guess I would agree that she's probably mid-range. She has a lot of block threes, equipment that blocks well, and... Steelblade Supremacy. But I guess we'll talk about that once we talk about our actual deck list. So what, what actual cards are in our list, Michael? All right. So she has two Command... Or at red. At red, she has two Command and Conquer, two Iron Song Response, one Nature's Path Pilgrimage, one Nourishing Emptiness, three Oasis Respite, three Out for Blood, two Razor Reflex, one Route, three Sink Below, three Spoils of War, three Steelblade Shunt, three Steelblade Supremacy, three Stroke of Foresight, three Warrior's Valor. At yellow, there's three Glistening Steel Blade, one Hit and Run, one Remembrance, three Run Through, three Singing Steel Blade, three Twinning Blade, one Warrior's Valor. At blue, there's two Blade Flash, three Energy Potion, three Glint the Quicksilver, three Hit and Run, 
three iron song response, two out for blood, one overpower, two pursuit of knowledge, and three warrior's valor. Not a lot in terms of new cards in the deck. There's three oasis respite, and then there was the crown of province that I mentioned earlier. And other than that, it looks like things that Dory has had since before Uprising. Right. This was more so, instead of a showcase of any of the new Uprising cards, more so just a notable gap in the overall meta of just cards that were, of just heroes that were keeping Dory down. Obviously, Chain and Starbo were both decks that were very oppressive in keeping these mid range and did a really good job of gating mid range style decks like Dorinthia from ever becoming too, too prominent. We'll see if that's still the case in these hyper-aggressive decks like Briar and Fi, and the super-controlling decks like Oldheim are still too much for mid-range decks to still exist, but I was just mostly happy to see a deck like Dorinthia at least be able to make the top eight before Moma Swiss and get across the finish line here. Yeah, makes sense. So the last deck we want to talk about today is Hayden Dale's Viscerilus that he used to win a Road to Nationals with. For equipment, it has Crown of Providence, Crown of Dichotomy, Arcanite Skullcap, Spellbound Creepers, Aether Ironweave, Fyandel Spring Tunic, Nolvern Row, Vexing Quillhand, and Grasp of the Arknight. So again, we're seeing three Nolvern with the Robe, the Quillhand, and the Crown of Dichotomy. Also, the weapon, of course, is Rosetta Thorn. One interesting thing about this equipment suite is it has both Crown of Providence and Arcanite Skullcap. This is the first time we've seen that. Moving on to the red cards, there's three Command and Conquer, three Spellblade Assault, three Runic Reclamation, three Vexing Malice, three Belittle, three Swarming Gloomvale, one Drawn to the Dark Dimension, three Minnowism, three Ravel and Runeblood, three Mavrin Skies, three Mordred Tide, three Runeblood Incantation, three Sonata Arcanics, and two Read the Runes. At yellow, there's three Mavrin Skies, three Shrill of Skullform, and three Belittle. And at blue, there's three Mavrin Skies, Two Sift, one Minnowism, three Become the Arknight, three Shrill of Skullform, three Spellblade Assault, three Vexing Malice, two Drawn to the Dark Dimension, one Meet and Greet, and one Arknight Shard. So, tell me about this list. I hate Little Minnowism in this ride because it's not advancing his primary game plan and cards that naturally synergize well in his card pool. So Viscerai, obviously, his whole hero power and identity is around creating these rune chants, which he then gets the benefit from through cost reduction in his cards, most notably, or other effects that reward you for having dealt the arcane damage in cards like meet and greet. So playing a card like Belittle Minoism in your deck means you have to be means that you are thinking that the value you are getting from casting and getting these resources from Blittle and Minnowism and jumping through the hoop of the deck building requirements. So cards like Amplify the Arknight are no longer in this list. The value that you're getting from that combination of cards has to offset the natural value and deck building that goes into more traditional Viscerai lists. And I think way more often than not, you're just not getting it. So... I played a few games with this list. I got dunked on and swore to never play Little Minnowism this ride again. Also, if you're going to play nine Mavrin Skies, you have to be playing nine Trill. If you're going, you got to go nine Mav, nine Trill, right, Michael? <laughs> I don't know. I think six Trill is a pretty good. It's pretty close. You got six Trill and then three Spellblade Assault, which I'm assuming 
could easily be replaced with Red Shrill if you really wanted Nine Shrill, but Hayden decided to go with Spellblade Assault for the two rune chance rather than the three extra points of damage. Not a lot of cards in this deck actually naturally have go again. So Drawn to the Dark Dimension does not have go again. Vexing Malice does not have go again. Spellblade Assault does not have go again. So, and Shrill of the Skull Form in yellow or blue. I guess no Shrill of the Skull Form ever has go again either. So there's not a lot of good opportunities to go into playing a non-attack action, attack action into Rosetta Thorn, given how often this deck struggles to produce these go-again attack actions. And then what that means is you're often relying on Spellbound Creepers to maybe flash in one of your Minoisms to get go-again that way. But the problem with that, as we go all the way back to the top, is you're not dealing or threatening as much arcane damage in this deck because you're not generating as many rune chants. So it also makes keeping Spellbound Creepers around a much taller task for this deck than more traditional Viscerai builds. Yeah, I think it's kind of relying on the Runeblood incantations to help keep Spellbound Creepers around. And it's really needs the Mavrins guys to pull a lot of weight in terms of go again. There's no copies of Lead the Charge, and like you said, a lot of the attacks in this deck don't have go again. So I think this is a deck that's looking to draw a Mavrins guy basically every turn of the game. I do like Sift. Blue Sift is good. Solid non-attack action, block three. And you can start with non-room blade non-attack actions because this rise hero ability just wants you to have played any old non-attack action before it checks for the room blade card. So you don't have to have as high as a requirement for your non-attack actions to be rune blade specific, but playing non-rune blade attack actions is just always giving up that one free point of arcane damage, which in a deck that and in, in a deck like Viscerai, who's not necessarily the most aggressive deck, and definitely not the most aggressive rune blade at this point, is actually giving up quite a bit, in my opinion. Maybe I'll just have to take a more traditional Viscerai build and win our road to nationals to show this amateur deck builder what's what. <laughs> I I actually really like this deck. I think that it did a good job at maximizing belittles in terms of like including a lot of three power attacks that are reasonable in the deck. I am not sure that belittle minnowism is the way that you should be going forward building Viscerai, and I understand a lot of the concerns you brought up. But I do think that Belittle Minoism is intrinsically very powerful. If you go back to my top 10 cards in the game, Belittle did make the list. And I think if you can build the deck in a way to make it work and the deck isn't losing too much on power, then it's definitely worth including. But the question is, is the deck losing too much by including it? Yeah, maybe I'm just a Belittle Minoism hater, but I guess that's just for me to belittle the card. (laughs) But overall, um, Uprising meta definitely seems very healthy. There's a good variety of deck lists being represented in top eight so far. No one hero seem, seeming so far. No one hero is seemingly overrepresented or dominating things so far. But we'll definitely have to keep our ear to the ground and make sure that it stays that way and keep following new and exciting deck lists as they start popping up. Yeah, for sure. I'm looking forward to seeing what we see over the next few weeks. Any final thoughts before we close things out, Michael? I'm a little disappointed that we didn't see an Icelander deck. I think Icelander is going to be one of the harder heroes to figure out. And 
especially given how hard that prison matchup can be, is might just be too much for her to really do well in the early weeks. But I think over time, we'll start seeing cleaner and better built versions of Icelander. Yeah. And just to comment on that also, we did see a lot of decks packing Nora in three. They are definitely paying respects to Icelander. And if she doesn't put up the performances to warrant that, maybe the decks start trimming and then maybe she has space to come in and beat up on a lot of these decks that cut down to one AB or even no AB in some in some cases. Could you imagine that? Just playing a wizard in a tournament where people weren't playing enough AB? That'd be insane. <laughs> it would be a good time to be a wizard player. It would be. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. We really appreciate it. If you could please like, comment, and subscribe in our video. Let us know what hero you're most excited to play at your local armory or road to nationals event coming up. And always remember, mind your manners. We'll see you next time.